Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Verona Blue stars in VHS 99 as a punk rocker in the segment titled Shredding. Written and directed by renowned genre filmmaker Maggie Levin, this newest installment of the cult anthology franchise had its world premiere at TIFF during Midnight Madness. VHS 99 will be on Shudder on October 20th. I had a great time chatting with Verona. Definitely recommend checking out the film later this month when it hits Shudder and hope you enjoy the show. Hey, how are you today? Good. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you so much for taking time to do this today. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. Thanks so much for wanting to chat with me. Well, I just, I was running a minute behind because I was actually just finishing up Diva because I wanted to see your original um, collaboration with Maggie and see what that was like and see um, the differences between these two projects. And did, you, did you see, because I'm barely in Diva, but did you watch Vane? I did not see Vane yet. The vein is the one that like, I'm really more in diva. I was like literally a walk on where she's like, I need bodies. And I was like, I'll be there. Um, uh, vein, you know, and if you want to watch it, it's probably five minutes long. You know, we could stick it on here, whatever vein is like a 360 vampire short. Oh, wow. Uh, so you can watch it like an Oculus. And the thing is it was filmed 360. So if you're watching it either on your phone or Oculus, like shit's happening all around you. So it's this giant like fight scene and we had to rehearse everybody because it's not like shoot it. And then next scene, shoot it. It's like, everybody's fighting at the same time. It's this like huge whole room coordination. It was very cool. Wow. Um, and that's probably, that's, I think the first project I ever did with Maggie where I was like, Oh, I love this. Let's do everything together. And how did you two find each other? Because that's such an interesting, you have such a diverse background with yeah, uh, yeah. your music training, acting, weapons yeah. training, all these yeah. things. It seems like she kind of sees you as the whole yeah. version of you. Yeah, um, that that's cool. Um, so Maggie and I, I think originally met, we were both when we first were sort of getting out in L.A., you know, when you move to Los Angeles or I imagine New York, any of these centers, they always say, you know, find other people sort of at your level and network with them and get to know your peers. And that happens in different ways. And for me and also for Maggie, it meant joining a bunch of feminist film groups where we talked with other women and non-binary people um, about working in the industry, a lot of just conversations about diversity in hiring and diversity um, in front of the camera as well. And uh, I think we were maybe like two or three of the same sort of small groups. And there was one group in particular um, by a woman called Emily Best, who started a company called Seed and Spark. And Emily's amazing. I think she moved to Georgia now and she's like, like really into like pushing politics. It's like, she's amazing. Um, uh, she's working with like Stacey Abrams and stuff. It's very cool. But I say Georgia of, can use all of our help right now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, so uh, one of these groups, um, was like a salon. Um, and the story that Emily used to always tell was that she was working in the film industry and she got a couple of questions for some people saying, do you know any women who are DPs? And so she was like, I'll have a little dinner party, introduce people. And she invited 16 people and like 32 people showed up and she was like, Oh, okay. Everybody wants to know because I think a problem just historically in the film industry with hiring different voices and different perspectives is that the people on top, they've always worked with the same people, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, I don't know anybody. They don't exist. And so all of these different groups, whether they're for people of color or for women or whatever, started appearing um, 
to try and help everybody know who's out there. So you can recommend people, you could get to know them, you could work with them. And so I think Maggie and I met in, in a, a couple of, we were in the same feminist film groups where we'd sit around, complain about the patriarchy, talk about the projects we were working on, get to know each other. Um, there were a couple that sort of had like filmmaker speed dating sort of okay yeah, yeah. to know everybody like what do you do what is your what do you want to do how can mm -hmm. i help you and one of the things that emily's group always did which was amazing uh, at the end of the salon no matter the topic she would say now here's a thing that we all need to do you have to go up to somebody you don't know you've never spoken to before in this group and ask them for something oh wow yeah that's like, what a great idea. Right. Especially for people who, you know, have mostly been socialized not to ask for what they want or what they need in an industry that tells you like, wait your turn. You're, you're told to wait for permission over and over Always. again. And she yeah. was like, find somebody and to ask them. She said, they may not be able to help you, but there's a chance they might be able to introduce you to someone or whatever. Just tell them what you need and see if they can help you. And, and Maggie and I, I think at some point interacted and it was very clear. We're obviously of the sort of the same background in terms of like our interests, just the way we look and carry ourselves and everything. And um, when she, so we were sort of in this similar group, she had an established group of performers that she'd been working with doing musical theater and these other films and things. Um, and I knew some of them as well, just from all being in that same like class, you know, mm -hmm. I guess if you, or cohort of, of people, I suppose you could say. And when she wrote Vain and um, she was casting it, one of her roommates actually uh, said, I think you need to get some new people. I think I think we need to find some new people to like help change it up a little bit. And so they started brainstorming. She said, well, what about that woman we met, Verona, with the, with the blue hair? And Maggie was like, cool, let's find out. And she was like, hey, do you want to do this vampire thing? And before the word vampire had like <laughs> left her lips, I was already in her living room. Like... Yes. So I just apparated into her house. Um, so I think that's pretty much how we met. And then she still had this core group of friends. And occasionally, you know, she would have these, they would have parties, Halloween parties. And so I started getting invites to just sort of come hang and I got to know everybody better. And as time went on, it really uh, evolved. And Maggie and I just became like really close friends. Like we really hit it off where we have so much in common. Our work ethic is very similar. The things that we like and want are very similar. Um, so as soon as the pandemic hit and you had to sort of choose who your people were and who you're going to risk seeing, yeah. Maggie, was one, Maggie was one of them. It was me, our friend Tybee and Maggie, the three of us and our partners. And that was it. And then what did it feel like when you found out that Maggie was doing a VHS installment? Because you, you talk about, you, you mentioned the idea of, um, films being very um they're not inclusive um, i would say horror is a little bit different in that sense where you do see different outside voices and specifically the vhs franchise has found some of the most exciting filmmakers working today and each installment no matter what i think of them overall as a piece there's somebody who i find whose work i want to follow from every one of those damn things and how what did that feel like when you found out you're going to be a part of really what's a legacy at this point yeah so it's it's interesting to have a, a really close friendship or relationship with someone whose star is rising very quickly um, because especially as an actor where 
you know, everyone sort of makes you feel like you're only hanging out with them to get something a lot of the time. You know, I had, I have set very clear boundaries with her to say like, I need to make very clear to you that like my relationship with you is not contingent on you casting me, you whatever. Like I like you for you. If you like me as an actor professionally and want to work with me, I'm already on set. Like, of course, anything. And that's, you know, I think I, I had proven that with other projects where she said we needed bodies and I would just show up to be an extra. I would show yeah. up to help haul cable. Like I'd already sort of showed that I enjoyed the process and I'm happy to support her work. So when she said that she was going to do a VHS, you know, I didn't know that I was going to be in it at all. Um, she just said they've asked her to do this, this film and she... Uh, had shown us because she really likes the Ratma one. Um, yeah. And also, you know, the original one with the siren with the, so. The, the Atlanta filmmakers did that one. I can't remember. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's like yeah. in the, one of the original ones with mm -hmm. the, like with, yeah, with the frat boys and the, yes. So she was like, cause I had never seen the VHS movies before because I was, I've been on such like a horror hiatus for like the last 10 years. Really? Yeah, man. It got it's, really good in the last 10 years. But it stresses me out. <laughs> Fair enough. I I've said this I've said this to people before, but I used to watch a lot of horror. Uh mm -hmm. I don't know if it's cuz like my central nervous system had not fully formed yet or I was not an adult or whatever, but the release, the escape, the excitement, the thrill of horror for a long time for me was really fun. Mm -hmm. And then I hit a wall where I was like, oh no, real life is very stressful. I don't have room for this. Um, and there was also that period where it was a lot of the hostels and the like torture porny type of yeah. really sadistic stuff that just, I know some people love it. It's not for me. Um, and I, I just found that like, I, I couldn't stomach it. There's like, I went to a horror film festival and I saw this film and it was just so uncomfortable to watch because it was so sadistic. I actually had to get up and leave because I was like, I know this is a movie. I know the actors are literally in the room. Nobody was hurt. But like just my brain was just firing with it so hard. Mm. And I was like, I can't do this. I need. So I had to take a break. So I had to take a horror break. So everybody was talking about all these different horrors. And like, it's okay. So I watched Parasite because it's not really horror, but it's kind of, it's that thrillery. I, I would call it horror. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, sure. You know, per, it's on, it's on the spectrum of horror. Yeah. There so you I, go. Like, I watched Parasite and like, I watched some of the other things like, um, uh, what's that? Oh my goodness. Of course the uh, ice train. No snow train. Oh, no. uh, snow piercer. Snowpiercer, right? Okay. Also kind of horror, but like dystopian, right? So yeah. I watched a couple of things that like just didn't have straight up like evisceration as part of the plot and kind of ease myself back into it. But I hadn't watched any of the VHS because I just didn't know what to expect. And like all of the pictures I saw were like really wet. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Such a good happens. description. I don't know what happens in these movies. <laughs> and I have a lot of friends who are like, I think you would like it. I was like, I don't know, man let's wait for the election to be over and then I'll see how I feel. Um, so when Maggie actually was like, I'm doing a VHS, I was like, that's super cool. But I was very excited for her. Um, and then when she told me the year, I was like, Oh, 
dude, I, I need to know like, Woody, that's awesome. And then she showed me a couple of the other ones. I was like, okay, I'm into this. Like, I get it. I like this idea. I like that. It's an anthology. I like that. You're getting different voices. I like that. Every filmmaker has to reinvent the idea of found footage yep. just from a storytelling perspective is so cool. Um, I really was very into it. So then she started pitching like what she was thinking about it. And because I'm friends with her, you know, I got early access where I got to see early drafts of the script and I got to give my input on things. And she was like, so anyway, you're Deirdre if you want it. And I was like, I do. Uh, and that was just all of a sudden just became such a weird reality to be like, oh my God, I get to actually be part of the horror community now. And I get to come in like on a high and I get to come in with this like franchise that people love. And because of how it's created there will be something for everyone. Not everyone oh, yeah. is going to love shredding, you know, not everyone is going to love, um, you know, suicide bid. Like there are, there's something for everyone and for every kind of audience. So I well, thrilled. <laughs> not, not unlike you. I mean, I'm older than you are. I'm 46. Okay. So when I'm the same age as these kids, I'm a little bit older than them, but I, you know, I graduated high school in 90. I was in college at the same time this is taking place. And that's how we talked. That's what we looked like. It's an embarrassing, um, the misogynistic elements of it, the transphobia elements of it, all these things. It's like, fuck, this is so hitting close. It's this uncomfortable mirror that I'm looking at. But at the same time, it's endearing because there is this like innocence in its, there's an affection for these characters. I think, I don't think it's passing judgment on them necessarily, but it's a pretty honest portrayal of what kids were like at this point in time. Um, And I'm just wondering if that was an element that really got you excited about this or something intrigued you about this. Cause it really is so much of this short is building up these characters and getting into their world. And unlike a lot of these shorts, I wanted to spend more time in this world. I feel like this could have been a feature, honestly. Yeah. So you know, I'm not going to speak for Maggie, but I kind of will because I've been in a lot of these conversations with sure. her. Uh, the aspect of authenticity was extremely important to her, yeah. like extremely important to her to the point where, you know, like we were pulling, we were putting together Pinterest boards and pulling catalogs from lip service and stuff from like the nineties and the eighties, where, when she started casting the other actors, you know, and she cast Amina, who's the the guitar player <laughs> um, who plays Carissa you know, she has her septum pierced as well. So does Tybee and I as well. And I was like, we need to tell her she needs to change the jewelry because they didn't have jewelry like that in 99. Like I changed my jewelry. We changed everything to really be authentic. Um, and everything was, was rooted in a reason. So like my character Deirdre, you know, I play bass left-handed. I don't play bass at all, but I play, I play bass left-handed and it was a right-handed bass. So I just restrung it. Mm-hmm. And, and she, I was like, and that's what this character would do. She bought it at a garage sale or what she stole it from her ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Right. And she's not going to like buy a new one. So she's just restringing. It's fine. It's good enough, you know? So it was very cool to make sure that like every pixel was exactly right. That there was, there was no element of any of the outfits or the jewelry or the behavior that was too contemporary. That was too casual. Um, and I know that some of the younger actors as the, you know, the rack kids, mm-hmm. um, like we put together a playlist for them, you know, and we were like, you have to listen to Primus now. And they're like, I don't know what that is. And we're like, great. Well, you're oh, going to no. learn, you know, <laughs> whale, 
hobo hump and slowbo babe. Sure. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. we were we we put that together and then one of them also emailed Maggie and was like, hey, what should I watch? Like what was what were the movies? What, what were the shows? And we were like, my so-called life. Like we were just trying to get them into the headspace and they yeah. all did it. We all did it. Like we were committed to making this feel like really a slice at a time, you know, not just a horror story that happens to be in the nineties because they wear jinkos or whatever, but like that legitimately feels like it, you're watching a tape from the nineties. Um, yeah. Uh, and the, the music was, really was right fun. too. The, the music was spot on. I was yeah. so surprised by how it felt like something that absolutely could have come from that time yeah. written by slightly more talented than average high school kids. I mean, it, yeah. it felt like that was the type of music that I would hear at house parties when I was back in the mid lost, to late nineties. Lost nineties bangers, both of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For sure. um, dressage. Who's the composer who also plays all the instruments and sings all of the, the lyrics. Like she's maybe wow. not the guy, you know, for the, for the fake blink 182 song, but for, for bitch cat song, like it's all one person. <laughs> We're all lip syncing. It's one person does the whole thing. And she's, amazing she but, can compose whatever you want oh that's so annoying because there's yeah. a, a, a like when there's that much talent is is just put into one human being it's so frustrating and i mean that as a compliment oh for but, sure but it's like the if you listen to the two bands the you know bitch cat is clearly the more established more well-polished band and then there's this like more amateurish side to the rack guys and it's all coming from one person it's like that you can hear that level of detail it's like you're talking about the septum piercing and the right jewelry and those things that the right people will notice those things the average person won't pick up on that or you know probably a lot of people will see this they have no memory of this time period so i mean you're gonna have but i feel like even though you might not be aware of it on a subconscious level when that kind of attention to detail is paid, it, you notice it on some Yeah, I, I think it's like very much a love letter to like the younger Gen X and the older millennials for sure. Um, and, and like you said, it includes all of the bad as well. It includes the like cringy, misogynistic, bro core, oh, you know, American pie, yeah. gross stuff as, you know, the maxim vibe as well as all of the like you know rachel is like a clearly a proto gwen stefani you know like so clearly she is um and you had we talked about diversity inclusivity before you know like maggie wanted to make sure that this also represented what friend groups would have looked like when you are coming from um an outsider's perspective you know like in in that time period being alternative being a skater being a punk being a goth are not cool they're definitely cool now Cause it looks great on Instagram, but like it, it's not cool in the nineties, especially if you consider that most of these films take place after April. So you have Columbine, you know, yeah. in April 99, where like, if you were even vaguely goth and living in not in a cool place, like you were harassed. Right. So if you consider that these characters are, are all outsider misfits in their community, they're more likely to be a diverse group. You're more likely going to have, you know, kids of color mixing, you know, with the white kids in, in for music and for culture and for hangs and everything than you would in a more sort of straight laced community. Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So earlier today, when I went into Bookman's, I was thinking about the conversation I was having earlier today, and I just wanted to 
check out a movie that maybe was a genre film, but had a little bit more on its mind. Something that was a horror film, maybe something that had a political or social commentary underneath it. And when I walked into Bookman's, I happened to come across the 4K edition of Candyman. Uh, the one that Scream Factory put out earlier this year, and it's a phenomenal set. I'm really looking forward to watching it tonight. But today I'm joined by my son, Jacob, who had some questions about Candyman, the movie, when he was looking at uh, the Blu-ray cover. He had some questions, so let's kind of go through those right now. So Jacob, come here. Yes. Uh, what is your first question about this Candyman? Um, um, what? What happens if you say your, his name five times? That's a, that's a good question, because on the bottom of the Blu-ray case, it says, we dare you to say his name five times. So if you look in a mirror in the movie and you say Candyman five times, Candyman will appear. He'll come there. And he'll kill. Oh, well, wow. Um, I, I didn't tell you that, but yeah, that, that's, that's what would happen. <laughs> Because this is make-believe, it's not a real thing that happens, this is just a story, it's just pretend. Good, good, good. So Candyman shows up in the room and then lights out. So do you have any other questions about the uh, the Blu-ray case here that you're looking at? Um, why is there a bee right there? Okay, that's a good question. So the bee is there because Candyman, uh, well, what do you think? Well, if you had to, if you were gonna watch this movie, if you had to think why would there be a bee there, what do you think is going on in this picture? I think a, um, a bee affected him. That's right, he, he was bitten by bees, that's right, yep. That's that's why there's a bee there because the candy man was bitten by bees. And and means so, means he would kill the bees that did that. Well, no, not necessarily. But so, do you have any other questions about this on here? Um, why is he in the eye? Oh, that's candy man. That's just a reflection. So this is this eyeball right here. It represents there's a woman who's looking in the mirror, and then she can see Candyman in the mirror also. So I think that's what that's trying to portray. So I have a question for you about this movie. Do you think this is a movie that a kid should watch? No. Is this a movie that you ever think you'll watch? When you're a grown up, do you ever want to see Candyman? Yes. When you're a grown up? Okay, cool. As long as it's not too horrifying. It's not that bad. It's a lot of fun. Mom loves this movie. I love this movie. So we're going to probably watch this later tonight. How, wait, but how do you know all this stuff? How do I know all this about it? Well, because I like movies a lot. And that's why I have a movie podcast so that I can talk about movies. And why do you actually know all about what's in this movie? Because I've seen it a bunch of times. Oh. Um, the classic one, like part one? Yeah, well, there's actually, there's four Candyman movies. There's uh, three that star Tony Todd, who's that guy right there. He's actually, Tony Todd is a really well-respected genre actor. I like him a lot. In fact, we're connected on Twitter and we end up talking about music a lot. So really nice guy. He's not scary at all, the guy who plays Candyman in real life. And then there was a remake that was done, or I guess it's kind of a sequel to it that was done recently, came out last year, that's really, really good, or a couple years now, I guess it's, it's been out for. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. But, I have a new yeah, yeah. question. Why is there a Broadway deal? Well, that just makes it a little bit more horrifying. So I think we need to get back to the interview. Why don't you uh, just go ahead and say thank you for listening to the show to the people. Listening to the show. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Enjoy the rest of the show. Because it's just sort of how the world works still, but you know, certainly at that time. Well, it's 
I mean, yes, that was my existence then. These were the type of people I hung out with. Those were the, you know, I went to the weird side of town to go to small clubs to see bands play and, you know, went to the art house theater and those kinds of things. That that's Those are my people. And we were all this group of people that just were looking for a tribe. We were trying, something fell off inside of us that we didn't connect to the things we were supposed to connect to that I didn't really give a shit about sports. I didn't, I cared too much about art. It was all those things that all those people found. And you can see that (laughs) in these characters. And it's so nice to see that that representation in that way of that time period. So, yeah, yeah. we have, we have a funny, we had a funny conversation amongst uh, Maggie, Tybee and I about the characters of bitch cat, because None of the women in in that band uh, reflect the male gaze even a tiny bit. Like Deidre is, you know, obviously like unattractive to most, you know, not to not to less necessarily into goth chicks, but like does not reflect the like sexy goth like Instagram girl that you would see now. You know, RC Tybee's lead singer. She's got a great body, but she's got a shaved head. You know, and then you have like Carissa, who is indigenous, so she's already you know she's brown. She's already not interesting. And then you have the drummer, who's not wearing any makeup, whatever. And our joke is like, "Oops, all gays." Like, (laughs) you know, it just sort of maybe turned out that way because none of them are dressed like they're all dressing for themselves. And that was part of the process as well with the costume designer was like she didn't want any of us wearing something that we didn't feel comfortable in. She didn't want us putting ourselves where we didn't feel either the level of modesty or sexiness or whatever that we didn't want to put out into the world. There was no, like, you have to look this way because it needs to appeal to whatever. It's like, you, what do you like? What, which, which of these avatars do you want to be pick? You know, it was very cool. Well, and it's, I, I think that that says a lot more, about the viewer than it does about the film itself, what you're getting out of that and what, how you react to to it, that it is that sort of um, Rorschach test where you're looking at it and you might see something totally different. And where I see, if you consider the way this little short ends, um, I had very warm feelings. And at the end of it, I'm laughing and I'm enjoying this. And it feels like this, and even that it has a, not to give anything away, but almost like a Chuck E. Cheese-esque yeah. thing at the end of it yeah. that I just, I was dying. And I don't yeah. know how much of that is going to land with other people, but yeah. for people that have my experience, they're my age, whatever that Venn diagram is, it's going to perfectly land for, yeah, for me at least. It's a fully intended to be life-affirming horror, if that makes yeah, sense. It does. And, and the idea, you know, that of flipping that, like who you think is a villain is not necessarily the villain and why they're the villain is not yep. necessarily the villain. Um, I think was really central to just making the story work and to make you want more. Like, you know, we have had people being like, I want a, the bitch cat biopic ASAP, you know, <laughs> it's like, how, who are these women? And then also these kids, like what? It, either one of those play? stories. Yeah. they're Because you, you start out with the rap kids doing their story for a couple of minutes and it felt like I, honestly kind of started forgetting I was watching a VHS film where it's like, okay, I could just hang out with these kids for an hour. I'm definitely down to, then you go into the bitch cat group and it has their little background, their promotional tape that they had. And I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to hang out with them for a while. That's great. And I could have absolutely done like a split narrative there where it was like 45 minutes of each of them and then kind of pulling it all together at the end. And and I, I hope there is more collaboration between the two of you, because I think that this, collective that you guys have formed it's just you're doing some impressive work here so uh, i mean look i'm just an outfit i'm just a walking outfit with a couple of ideas she is 
Maggie is wildly talented, the busiest person I know in Hollywood. And that's saying, I'm maybe not almost the yeah. third busiest. Um, you know, she's very talented. Her, her scripts are like so engaging. If you consider what you saw on VHS or if you watch Diva or if you end up watching Vane, like the, the depth, even though they're short, like the depth of intrigue in all of them in their own way you can see the evolution of like how she starts to tighten it up, how it starts to get more polished. You can see the big vision and all of the, you know, pre release stuff. Like Vane is one of the earlier ones and you can see where it's going. Right. And if you compare that now, when you watch the, to watch shredding, like the path is very clear. Like the talent has always been there and she's just so good. And like I said, I'll do anything that she asks me to do. You know, would I love to be a lead in whatever? Yes, of course. But if she was like, I need you for like two scenes to great, whatever you want, let's do it. Well, you have the ability to make an impact very quickly. Um, if I think of just what, what you did in married, that little moment that you're in is so fucking great. It's, yeah. it's so one it's because it's not only, the what is actually happening in the scene, what you're using the bassinet for, but it's the way you speak in that moment as well, because you're incredibly well-spoken. You sound very knowledgeable, but then you're also smoking while you're pregnant. It's just this wonderful little moment. It's so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, it's a really interesting thing sort of having this appearance of, you know, all the tattoos and everything, and then trying to really pursue acting work in a traditional sense. You know, I'm hoping I get to do more horror because there are more opportunities to be like bigger and yeah. more, you know, a little bit more wild. But network television, it's an interesting dilemma because like I do have a really strong acting background, like acting yeah. training, you know, um, and most people, not all, but most people who sort of have my appearance on a day-to-day basis who get into acting, they did a commercial because somebody picked them up off the street because they had the right thing and then they got representation. They don't really know how to act necessarily very well or they didn't really pursue training. Um, so it's it's interesting to walk into a room with this idea that they, the casting director, whoever like perceived me as a look and then be able to actually walk and talk at the same time. And then to usually have to tone it down to be a little bit more dumb or more mumbly because the character has been written as this, like works at a hot topic, hates their parents is a burnout, whatever. And like, it's, I'm never the CEO. I'm always like the weed dealer or the bartender, um, but which that's- is fun, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing to like be a full human and also not at ever be a full human. I think that that's a perception that is moving away more yeah. and more yeah. that when, when I was younger, it was pretty much, if you had tattoos, that was, you couldn't get hired at that yeah. point. And so yeah. clearly people were losing too much good talent. So they stopped doing that. And now yeah. I think they just don't mean what they used to. And that yeah. idea of what you, how you choose to express yourself yeah. it, through the way you look, it's these choices that you make. It doesn't mean what it used to, I think. And yeah. so I think as younger people continue to make art, you'll see more of that side of things where it won't be so one-dimensional and, oh, look, it's a a guy that has sleeves, therefore he has to be a biker, drug dealer, that kind of thing. It's like, no, in fact, if you look around, there's plenty of business owners, CEOs, all these people of all different walks of life that are complicated, fully realized human beings that are, yeah, you could have somebody that looks like you, that's really boring. You you could right. absolutely have that. That's right. they are a dullard, and that's going to be the case sometimes. So right, of course. So you know, it is it is fun to sort of be one of the few people who really carries this look authentically, 
because like you said, when I do get the opportunity to be on screen, it is like pretty, they've made a decision, right? So I do get a little bit of freedom to like really lean into that a little bit um, because they've, they've made the decision. Sure. Uh, And yet it is nice to hear that like um, people are noticing me, you know, Uh, (laughs) it's good. It's good. It's, 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 you know, I, I, a long time ago decided, you know, when I first moved to LA, I really decided that I'm not going to be able to act every single day, you know, like in LA, nobody does, even the most famous people don't, you know, but it's just not realistic to anticipate that for at least until I hit, you know, some milestone in the regular character or something on television, I'm not gonna be able to act every single day. And so I have to really be happy with myself when I'm looking in the mirror, when I'm going out, when I'm hanging with my friends. And that is this, you know, I, during the pandemic, I grew, I had a Mohawk, I grew it out. And then I went blonde and turns out, People don't like me when I'm blonde. I got fewer auditions than when I had a blue mohawk. Fewer, fewer. So then I was like, well, fuck this. I hate, <laughs> I hate this and nobody wants to hire me. So what if though, I mean, the, I booked one thing. I booked a commercial and um, the director went through my Instagram and found a photo for me from a movie from like years ago where I still had a mohawk and everything. And mm-hmm. she was like, can you look like this? And I was like, no dog. No, I did. And you never hired me when I looked like that. So now it's blonde. I don't know what to fucking tell you. Um, she's like, well, can we put dye in your hair? I was like, absolutely not. It took seven and a half hours to get the blue out. No, I'll wear a wig. You can put in little extensions, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, they made it they just made my hair big and blonde, whatever. And like, it's a commercial. So I'm on the screen for like a second and a half. Like, what yeah. difference does it make? But uh, it was it was it was real, real kick in the teeth that day to be like, can you look really cool like you used to? And I was like, no, yeah, sorry, I'm just trying something out. Sorry, you missed it. Um, but then a year later, I was like, no, nah, I fucking hate this. So now, well, now, not- I blew, now I have blue hair again and I feel much better. Well, it's it's the it's the coat that fits best. It's what feels natural. It's authentic. And I think it's yeah. like what we were talking about before with this idea of being so meticulous in the way that you're um, paying attention to small details. I think it rings authentic when you do that. And when you're trying to put on, when I shave my beard off and I, you know, wear a long sleeve and the tie and do the, to cover everything up, it doesn't feel like I'm being myself to, to some degree, but then I also enjoy that because there's a level of performance to it where it's like, Oh, look, I'm fooling them. That's kind of fun. Yeah. They, they, they actually think I'm normal. They, they think I, I belong in this room right now. Yeah. And yeah. I think the real trick is when you convince yourself that you belong in the room, that that's when it matters. So yeah. 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 But thank you so much for taking, Oh my God. Okay. I'm surrounded by tiny dogs. You just can't see them. Cause they're all, there's one, oh, no. there's two, there's three, <laughs> there's another one over there. There's, there's wait, there's that one there. Oh my god! There's another one sleeping over there. I'm just all chihuahuas, just, huh? Just a herd of yeah. It says tiny dogs on my knuckles. It's I have a real problem. <laughs> well, that's uh, we have a we have three dogs. So yeah. and and people always look at us like we're crazy for having too many dogs. But yeah, and one of them's a chihuahua weenie dog, and I love that damn thing. Yeah, such a, they're such yeah. great dogs. Yeah, yeah. They're the best. They're my favorite. The smaller awesome. the better. Um. Well, I don't know. I I, I like them all. I have, I have ones, I have a 70 pound dog and I have a 10 wow. pound dog. So I, whatever, I'm just, I'm just a fan of them all. Yeah. 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 But nice. well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Yeah. I really do appreciate it. It was really that nice was, to meet you. It was really nice. Really nice to meet you too. Really nice chatting with you. I hope it made sense. The words that I said. 
And the words um, all made sense. They came great, out. We did great. the thing. Thank it worked. Great. I did it. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. Hopefully. I hope so. For more yeah, stuff. yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. Have cool. a good one. Nice to meet you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.